0: Please turn with me to Deuteronomy 10, I'll be reading two passages, the second in Romans. Deuteronomy ten twelve through 22 And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in your love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great thing, great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Also Romans twelve nine through twenty one. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless those. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: A five-year-old boy accompanies his family to a new community to visit relatives. He goes with them to their church service which is held in someone's house the room is lined with hard backless benches and is filled with people he has never seen before the service begins with the entire group of people singing songs he has never heard before in a language he has never that he does not understand this little boy is overwhelmed with the newness of it all and begins to cry it is painfully obvious to him that he is a stranger in a strange place. Nearly 30 years later, he still does not like being a stranger in strange places. And perhaps that is why today's topic of hospitality feels so important. And if you're a visitor here with us this morning, you'll have to excuse my little preaching to the choir, um, but I hope that we have an opportunity to show you hospitality. The heart of hospitality is making the stranger become your personal guest. And for most people, this doesn't come naturally, but it is a scriptural command and something that can be practiced and developed. So let's read our passage in 1 Timothy 3. The stated text is chapter 3, verse 2, but I'll read verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, into a snare of the devil. And so you may think why hospitality from this passage? Well we actually spoke from this passage recently and, and um, in that sermon we, we reviewed the importance of leadership and the importance of leaders being qualified and how the leaders of a church as in any organization, played an important role in, in setting the direction of the church and leading the church to, to greater maturity. And so the leaders who lead, both by their teaching as well as by their actions, must be qualified. And so we have this list of, of qualifications. And Paul had, this, had his reasons for detailing this list to Timothy. that The church in Ephesus was pl- facing problems related to, to bad leadership, which we have reviewed in the past as well. The leaders had false motives and promoted false teachings. And a person who is in a position of spiritual leadership who is not qualified to be there is a liability to the position, and more importantly, a liability to God's name. The elder has a responsibility to care for God's church, and any major areas of weakness or deficiency in this set of qualifications will hinder his ability to care for the church and will dishonor the testimony of the church and dishonor the name of the Lord. And before reviewing these qualifications, it is also necessary to acknowledge that not everybody is called to a formal position of leadership, but that does not mean that we can ignore this list. There's not two different standards of holiness for, for clergy and laity. And that the character qualities that we see here should be the goal of every Christian. And so as I mentioned, I'm going to take the liberty today to focus primarily on hospitality. And at a later point, I'll probably review some of the others. But hospitality is kind of easy to pass over. We mention it in passing without really understanding what it means. So a few questions I'd like for you to think about as we talk about this today. What is it about hospitality that was important enough to include in this list of qualifications for church leadership? How did the original readers of this passage understand hospitality, and might it be a different understanding than our initial impression upon reading this list? How should we seek to practice hospitality in the church today? And how will hospitality contribute to honoring God's name and building God's church in our communities? And and interestingly, why is hospitality in the list of elder qualifications instead of the deacon qualifications? So I, I think when we think of hospitality, we tend to think of the kind of people who like to have guests over for Sunday lunch. And so, hospitality is, is getting some food together and, and having people over to our house. And that's certainly an element of hospitality and, and an important one at that. Um, but there's much more to hospitality that, that we tend, I have tended not to understand. And not everyone is comfortable for whatever reason at, at having guests over to their house. But that doesn't mean that, that you can't practice hospitality. And so I'd like to look today at kind of the, the biblical understanding of hospitality and, and take a, a bit of a quick tour through the Bible to understand what the Bible says about it, um, both in a, a cultural context and a, a theological context. The, the Greek word for hospitality tells us a lot about its meaning and is, is really where I got the title of the message from. The word is philoxenia. So philo means love of, and and we're familiar with the word philosophy, which is philo-sophia, which means love of wisdom. Another word with, with philo in it is Philadelphia. So when William Penn founded Pennsylvania, he was seeking to establish a refuge for the persecuted Quakers from England. And so he named the capital city Philadelphia, which means city of brotherly love. And so he was envisioning a place where, where the Christians could live together in freedom. So Philo is the first part of this of this word hospitality, and it means love. But hospitality is not Philo adelphos; it's not love of brothers. It's Philo xenia. What does xenia mean? Xenia is from xenos, that's X E N O S, which means stranger or guest. So hospitality, in its most fundamental sense, is loving the stranger. Loving the stranger takes special effort, but it is something that is commanded throughout the Bible, and it's a way that we make God's love real to those that we meet. After the 9-11 terror attacks, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs was speaking in New York City, and he said he used to think that the greatest command in the Bible, in the Old Testament, was to love your neighbor as yourself. But he discovered that command is given only once, while there are over 30 commands to love the stranger. And understanding the importance of hospitality in the Old Testament will help us understand how it um, is, was taken in the New Testament when, when it was commanded there. And then culturally, the hospitality meant different things back then than than it does today, because back then there were no Motel 6s or Ritz-Carlton's or other hotel chains at at which to spend the night. And the inns that existed were were relatively few and far between and and generally associated with with immoral or dangerous people. And and travel was basically dangerous. Um, You think of the story of the Good Samaritan. So a, a traveler who entered a town was largely dependent on the hospitality that was offered by its residents. And it was an important part of a, of a society to be able to function, that, that um, they would be hospitable to those who came. However, as, as Pastor Tim Keller notes in the giving of the law, God elevated the requirements for hospitality even above that of culture. It, w- it was important within the culture, but, but in the giving of the law, God elevated those requirements even more. And we saw that in the, the scripture reading from Deuteronomy 10 hospitality as practiced by God's people is based on who God is and what he has done for them. It's not just about promoting a a society that gets along with each other. So in in that passage in in Deuteronomy 10, God reminded the Israelites of his character and of his good deeds to them. And in verse 14, he said, to God belongs everything in heaven and on earth. So he, he said, God set the stage, he said, you know, he is, is preeminent, but in, in his providence, he chose Israel to bless them and separate them to himself. Not only were they strangers in the land of Egypt, they at one point had been strangers from God when, when God lavished on them his hospitality. And because of that, he says, after God recounts all that, he says, because you were strangers, you are to love the sojourner or the stranger in verse uh, 19. And we see this repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. In, In Leviticus 19, he says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So in this showing love to the strangers, there were Demonstrating God's love, they were reminding themselves that they had been strangers, and they were showing God's character to those who they met. Another place we see this command in Exodus You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. And we see this as well, that the commands to to love the stranger are often given along with the commands to love the fatherless and the widows. And just as God demonstrates through his people, through Christ, that he is the father to the fatherless and protector of the widows, he demonstrates through his people that he is the ultimate host to the stranger. And one of the more familiar accounts of, of hospitality that, that you'll tend to hear referenced in the Old Testament is in Genesis 18 when, when Abraham was, was visited by these three men. And, and the Scripture tells us uh, was the Lord. One of them was the Lord. So Abraham's response when, when they show up, he, he demonstrates love of the stranger. He, of course, he didn't know who these people were, but he, he, he jumps up, um, he invites them to stay, he washes their feet, he serves them food, And as they leave, he he accompanies them. And then we're also informed in in Hebrews 13 that in showing hospitality, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So this was probably referring to to this account of of Abraham, but we also see that the same idea with the disciples walking on the Emmaus Road in, in Luke 24, that they didn't know that it was Jesus who was walking with them. And when they arrived at their destination, they invited him strongly urged him to to stay with them for their evening meal. And so they were showing hospitality to the stranger. And it was only after Jesus blessed and and broke the bread and and gave it to them that they realized who this stranger was. This doesn't mean that we need to figure out the complete background and and family connections of every visitor to figure out whether or not they're angels or or other divinity. And I'm not sure of what we would say if, if we found out they were angels. And I was reminded that the classic Christmas film, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey meets an angel who saves his life, but he has a hard time believing that it really is an angel. And I think we probably wouldn't believe it either if someone came to me and told me that they were an angel. I would probably suggest a quick-acting injection of an antipsychotic drug instead of showing them hospitality. But as it turns out, we, we have we have illustrations in the Scripture of people who show hospitality without having complete information on their guests. So let's look at Matthew 25 for one example of this. Jesus tells us that hospitality is a mark of those who belong to Christ and that the hospitality that was shown to others was in fact shown to Christ Himself, even though they did not realize it. Let's read, um, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them, Truly I say it to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And we see Jesus repeatedly throughout his ministry both teaching and demonstrating hospitality. He was not afraid of eating with sinners, even though the religious leaders thought themselves too good to associate with these kinds of people he spoke with the samaritan woman at the well and offered her the living water of life even though she was samaritan and a woman he took special note of the children even though the disciples tried to shoo them away he fed the crowds of, of 5000 and 4000 he washed the feet of his disciples before his death and broke bread with them and grilled some fish for them on the lake shore after his resurrection And his ministry regularly included those who were on the margins of society, whether it was due to physical illness, their ethnicity, religious affiliation, or their socioeconomic status. So when we read these commands in the New Testament to be hospitable, it's not a new command that needs explanation. It's it's couching the entirety of the Old Testament law. It was commanded... And the Jews understood its, its historical and cultural importance. And, and we see in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about showing hospitality, it's, it's coupled with the command to love each other, as we saw in, in Romans 12. Um, and Hebrews 13 is, is also a, a familiar passage, and, and it, it is, comes right alongside the, the um, commands to, to love each other. And we see it as well in First in Peter 4. So showing love to each other, showing love to the brother, is important. And and as we do that, we demonstrate to others that that we're followers of Jesus. And historians of the early church note that the the Christians were noted for their uncommon care for each other. And they were really dependent on this, that the early church was dependent on hospitality because the evangelists traveled from city to city and the home was often the base of evangelism and teaching. So without hospitality, the early church would have been hindered in its ability to grow and spread. There is a time, though, that we should not show hospitality. And let's look at second, the book of Second John for a few comments on that. Second John 9-10 and 10, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him any greeting. And in this short letter, the Apostle John is, is appealing for the preservation of the gospel and, and the, the true gospel message. And the deceivers were those who denied the work of Christ. And he calls them the Antichrist. And these people were not to be welcomed into the Christians' houses because of their potential to damage the testimony of the gospel. And, and I think that um, is instructive in, in how we apply hospitality today. Not saying that that we don't interact with those who are not Christians, but, but those who are actively trying to... Um, tear down the message of Christ, or those who are working against the cause of, of Christ, um, need, we, we need not to associate with them. And, and there's also a, a sort of, of Christian universalism that, that promotes hospitality and, and social justice but fails to proclaim the gospel. And in, in their attempt to, to practice social justice, they, they leave out the biblical story and the gospel message. And, but I think if we allow the gospel to shape our hospitality, it, it's a corrective to the extremes that claim to be practicing Christian hospitality but, but are hardly practicing Christianity at all. So what does the gospel have to do with hospitality? How, how do we connect the gospel with our practice of hospitality? I love the, the passage from Ephesians 2, and let's turn there next. Next. grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I I believe the gospel is our clearest mandate to practice hospitality. Through the work of Christ, we who were strangers to God's covenant have become members of his household. And Jesus came to earth and accomplished what the Jews for thousands of years had failed to do. The nation of Israel had been called to be a beacon of God's glory and holiness and love, and instead they had degenerated into a fragmented society that sought their own interests first. The Jews weren't specifically called to, to evangelize the way that, that the Christian church is but they were still to show God's love to the nation. And just a few references to, to reinforce that. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then Solomon reiterated this vision at the dedication of the temple in Second Chronicles 6 when he said, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays towards this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So Israel, if if they had functioned the way that, that God had, had called them to, they would have been a testimony to all those who looked around, and, and as they interacted with these strangers, they would have also been come to, to know this God. But when Jesus came, he found a, a group of religious elites who were so preoccupied with maintaining their artificial boundaries that they had no chance of tr- treating the sojourners among them as one of themselves. They disdained the strangers because they were different and disrupted the status quo. And so instead of being a blessing to the other nations and a testimony to the power and faithfulness of God, they were so inwardly focused they didn't even recognize their own Messiah. So Jesus announced the arrival of a new kingdom in which participation was not based on accomplishment or tribal status or religious performance. Participation in the new kingdom was based not on what people did, but on what Jesus did for them. And so this distinction of of ethnicity and, and religious participation no longer applied to the Gentiles, who for all these years had been outside of God's chosen people. And because of the work of Christ, we who were strangers became brothers. And this is the ultimate act of hospitality. So when when Paul and Peter and the writer of Hebrews commanded the Christians to practice hospitality, they were reiterating a command that had been given by God at the giving of the law, but it had even more significance and importance because of the demonstration of hospitality by Christ himself. So I would like to discuss three areas that, that we here at Calvary can improve our practice of hospitality Broadly, they are church, home, and community. So we have many opportunities to practice hospitality right here at church. It begins in the parking lot. One large church I read about had the the goal of having each visitor greeted three times before they sat down. And we don't have parking attendants, although given our parking situation, it might not be a bad idea. But if if you meet someone in the parking lot that that seems to be a visitor, take the opportunity to greet them. Ask them if they've been here before. Ask them if they know anybody else here. Um, Let them know what our service is like and and help them navigate the the maze of this place. And if if they're not met in the parking lot, they they have the opportunity to be met by the greeters and and ushers after they, they come in. And, and this isn't limited to, to the ushers and the greeters. We should all be practicing and having our eyes open to, to those who, who might need some help when they come here and, and um, helping them to, to become a guest and, and not just a, a visitor. And, and there's many ways that this facility is, is lacking in its design um, that will, will help people feel feel more comfortable, and we could probably be a poster child for, for not, how not to design your building in regards to hospitality, because you know, some, some um, churches are, are completely, they, they design their entire facility and, and campus in a way that, that welcomes those who haven't been there before. And so we need to work extra hard at making sure that those who come here feel, feel welcomed. And I'd like to also put in a word about the host family that is assigned every week. We've discussed this at, at the elder deacon meetings over the last year and, and, and whether it's accomplishing its goal. And I think the potential downside is that of, of having an appointed host family is that we, we tend to think this is, that's the only Sunday that we need to be hospitable is when it's our turn to host. And But obviously, re- regardless of, of who's the host, we should be looking to... Um, take advantage of any opportunity we have to to be a blessing to our guests. And again, if if you can't have them over to your house, you you certainly have the opportunity to to show them hospitality and to welcome them at church to to help them feel less like strangers. And this leads to the second place that we can practice hospitality, and that's at home. And our homes are the places we we tend to think of when we discuss hospitality. And we, we might be doing okay at at having our friends come over for, for a meal or coffee, um, but true hospitality is more than just inviting over those with whom we are already comfortable. And I think our homes can be places where those of, of with struggles of, of heart or body or mind are, are welcomed and provided a space to be cared for and to be strengthened. And we don't have to have a Martha Stewart house or prepare a Martha Stewart meal to everybody that, that comes through our doors. It can just be a a glass of water or hot tea, and a safe place to, to unwind and discuss difficulties. And We don't have to be experts to do this. Many, many times the, the most memories are made when, when we do this without lots of elaborate planning and, and food. Just keep some hot dogs or pizza in the freezer that you can pull out for a, an easy meal. If we keep things comfortable, your guests will also be comfortable. And we need to spend more time thinking about how to, to bless our guests than how we might impress them. And the third area is, is community. And I think this is an area where we have tended not to do as, as well as we could have, um, but it, we have a huge opportunity to demonstrate hospitality in our community. And, and some of this we're, we're doing already, and I want to acknowledge that. Things like the food pantry or the pregnancy center or the, the Salvation Army Meals and, and others that, that people have been involved in. And I think again, we remember that Jesus came to us and broke down the wall of separation. Helps us, shapes our perspective as we go out, cross those lines that separate us from people who are not like us. It gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel and invite them to participate in the life of the kingdom. So I'm going to talk about just a few specific opportunities we might have here in, in Rockingham County. First, a a small um, caveat. Sometimes when we move into the community and and begin serving alongside of our neighbors, it puts us alongside other groups of people or ministries that are not like us. They may not be Christian, they may be Christian, but not agree with us on on certain core issues. And so as we do this, there needs to be an element of of wisdom and discernment, but um, sometimes that's the only opportunity or the best opportunity we have to, to practice hospitality with with these other groups and one topic that is particularly pertinent in our society today is immigration and particularly refugees politicians have made a big deal out of, out of the danger of having immigrant to refugees come into our country and it is their job to protect us to keep our country safe and so I'm not here to make a statement about whether or not we should have refugees coming into our country but as Christians When they come, we should be the ones welcoming them and blessing them in their arrival. And this is precisely what what God instructed the Jews to do when a a sojourner was among them. There's an immigration refugee program right here in Harrisonburg that last year settled 174 refugees, and they are open to volunteers to, to assisting with their ministry. Another program is adopting international students who are studying at the local universities. JMU has a program called the Life Program in which a family can, can basically adopt an international student who can spend weekends, holidays, any other special times um, with this family. And it's a perfect opportunity to, to be able to again, demonstrate hospitality to the stranger, proclaim the gospel to them. You have no idea what potential that might have if, if you are able to, if they are able to take the gospel back, to their country. Another opportunity that we've invested in personally is foster care or adoption and this gives you the opportunity to care for for vulnerable children and, and sometimes to interact with their parents. Like any other ministry it can be costly and painful and it should only be entered if if you're able to be committed for the for the long haul. So hospitality does not come with promises Of rewards in this life or even protection from harm there's some vulnerability associated with any act of hospitality and there certainly needs to be some discretion in the way that we practice some elements of this but we should also remember that Jesus did not allow possible suffering to hinder his practice of hospitality so we too remembering the incredible love that has been shown to us can go forth in the confidence of Christ to demonstrate that love to others and break down the walls that separate us from others and ultimately through Christ break down the walls that separate them from Christ. Let's pray. Do Lord, thank you for your love that you have shown to us and thank you that you have broken down the wall that separates us, that you have welcomed the stranger into your family and I pray that as we experience your love, we may be able to do the same to those who are strangers among us and in the community, and to do so in a way that proclaims the truth of your gospel. Give us wisdom and discernment, and bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen.